the Cannabis Business Coach. Hi, Mike Z here, author of the Cannabis Business Book, and you're listening to the Cannabis Business Coach Podcast, where I chat with and coach the highest performing entrepreneurs in the cannabis industry. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. The Cannabis Business Coach. Hi, Mike Z here, and on today's episode of the Cannabis Business Coach Podcast, I'm joined by my dear friend, a real role model of mine, and one of the most elegant orators I've ever met in my almost 31 years on this earth, and that's criminal defense attorney and longtime committed cannabis activist, advocate, enthusiast, and student of cannabis, Joseph Bondi. Joe? It's an honor to have you here. I'm so excited to see you, especially with this big quarantine beard of yours. And, you know, I, I'd love if you could just introduce yourself a little more formally to, to the audience. First off, Michael, thank you so much for having me and allowing me to speak from my home uh, after seven months of being locked in in New York City, um, which is fantastic for me. I'm, I, I got to say I'm thriving, but I'm Joe Bondi. I'm known by a lot of people to be a, a criminal defense attorney of some repute. I've practiced law for 25 years in the federal courts throughout the United States and obviously primarily in my hometown of New York City. I'm admitted to practice in a lot of federal courts and a lot of circuit courts in the Supreme Court of the United States. And I've represented people in all walks of criminal trouble from racketeering and, and multiple homicides to tons and tons and tons of marijuana lots of uh, controlled substance cases. I do a lot of federal sentencing work and mitigation work, trying to keep people out of the penitentiary and then trying to get them out of the penitentiary. And as, as you said, Michael, for just 25 years now, I've been a member of Normal. Uh, and I've, I'm on their national board of directors now. I'm also a vice president. It's my privilege to serve as the VP of the Cannabis Cultural Association. And I just am really enamored with the spirit we see these days in the cannabis movement, but I'm also very, very aware of how we got here and the, the people who came before us. Awesome. Excellent, Joe. And you're also one of, one of the reasons I look up to you besides your linguistic prowess is, you know, you're a family man with a great family that I've had the pleasure of meeting and hanging out with a couple of times. And also you're a martial artist, which I think this that's just really cool. So anyway, Joe, it was great to have you here. I'm curious to ask, how did you get into the cannabis world? As a person growing up in this world, as a young person, uh, how do you get involved in the cannabis world, right? And, and <laughs> I mean, you go to like a beer, people play like beer pong, right? They do these like beer games, they're kids, right? And you, you, at least in my experience, oftentimes find cannabis around about the same age and it's for you, it's not for you. You grew up in different places in different times, right? But um, there's always been some kind of a stigmatic edge to, to cannabis use, particularly among kids. So there's this notion of getting into cannabis and use and then getting into like advocacy and law and everything else. And I think that in reality, when I, I grew up in New York City, went to public school in New York City, I went to Bronx Science, I know you went to Stuyvesant, right? So we have some affinity bond because we're city kids that went to public specialized high schools, right? But um, I think that when I chose to go to law school, I already had an interest in, because of my experiences, criminal law, and that had been strengthened by, at the time, a lot of these uh, trials, they had cameras in the courtroom at the time and you had like the John Gotti trials and some really kind of marquee newsworthy gangster trials going on and so I was intrigued by criminal law to begin with and I had some anchor in understanding cannabis so by the time I left law school and I had kind of paired this with an interest in going into criminal defense work I very rapidly found that cannabis cases, pot cases, weed, marijuana cases, right? At the time, some people even called them dope cases, but that's really heroin. But those kind of, I gravitated to them. And I found that I gravitated to the issues and I gravitated frequently to those defendants, the people who were facing 
a five or a 10 year mandatory minimum in the federal system. And at the time that I started practicing, facing a heck of a lot more trouble in New York state courts than they, they are today. So I think that truth be told, and that's probably the truth for many of us is our interest in cannabis predated our professional involvement with cannabis. Yeah, certainly. And I know at least for me, it was at Stuyvesant High School where I was introduced to cannabis and the rest, as they say, is history. You know, a quick follow-up to that question, which is, if I recall correctly, it was a few years ago where you got more involved in the business side of cannabis outside of your practice where you started doing more commercial cannabis work and cannabis investing and and more of that kind of entrepreneurial cannabis focused Uh activity. I'm curious, what's your experience been like? How have you enjoyed that? Well, you know, was there a moment when you really decided to step into that more heavily? Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you. By the time there came to be a legal cannabis industry, so to speak, We'd already gone through the war on drugs. We'd already gone through Dennis Perone and the, the movement on the West Coast towards medical cannabis, the shifting of the frame from marijuana being something for maybe merely terminally ill people who are on the verge of death to being something that many people could qualify for based on a range of, of medical conditions. But by the time we got to New York has a medical program, right? Or Washington or Colorado has a medical program. And these days we have this CBD industry and the hemp industry, right? But by the time we got there, I'd already been a practicing lawyer for you know two decades. And I'd already represented people in really big cannabis cases in the federal courts. I'd represented heads of crime families. I'd represented people in really notorious cases with, with the, the federal government as my adversary. And I fancied myself as somewhat of an expert on cannabis. In fact, I remember going to your high and why events and heckling your, <laughs> your guests. Right? But I, I was kind of of the mind that I'm not about to let there be some cannabis law field out there that I'm not involved in, you know, because I had the cred. I'd done this for years. I'd tried these cases. I'd saved the people. I, I, been, you know, I traveled like throughout the country on behalf of normal, representing people pro bono in important cannabis advocacy cases. And so when the industry began to develop, I was kind of all over that. And my background is not, I'm not like your contract lawyer kind of guy, right? I'm like not that person, but I'm pretty good at at, um, representing you and protecting your interests and, and, you know, pushing for your advantage in all kinds of, of fora. So I started to go to events like yours, right? And all these other events and started to talk to these wonderful people who were emerging, right? And oftentimes like a lot younger than me in a safer place where they hadn't known. And of course I'm traumatized by the people that I know. Right? I get up at night and I think about the people I know who are in prison. Like every night of my life, I get up and I'm like thinking about somebody and what they're doing now, which is very different than what I'm doing, right? And it was marvelous to see people who came to cannabis without that kind of a fear, you know, like people who are my age, you smoke a joint with them. They're like freaked out. They can't be in public. They're terrified, right? There's because of of all of the adverse consequences that, you know, we faced. Young people are oblivious to that shit. They're like, what are you talking about? And it's a very cool thing to see people focusing on like an invention right or getting a patent or a copyright issue such as you're familiar with yourself you know and to have that kind of a a, an area where we're doing events now right and we've got expert speakers and now people are paying ad fees and now we've got like soilless mixes and aquaponic fertilizers and amazing lights that was such a remarkable term from black market cannabis, underground, gorilla grows, surreptitious stuff. It's just been like a revelation. It's been like the opening of this crazy Pandora's box. And along the way, there's all this regulation and that's what lawyers deal with, right? And for me, this is kind of like, there's a certain ease of some of these issues because it doesn't involve people going to prison or federal prosecutors marshaling the evidence or the FBI, like 
interviewing the ring of witnesses that surround your client. Right? It's a little bit, in a certain sense, it's a little bit, there are fewer moving parts. I see. Awesome. I love it. So I, I'm hearing that you're basically like, there's no way that this cannabis law thing is going to evolve in advance without no. my getting involved and, and being no. a part of that action, which no, you certainly no. have been. And you know what? You have to, in a sense, like, we're also obligated to do good on some level if we can, you know, and if you have the ability to, you, you should. And so I approach this with, you know, meeting a lot of people with ideas, a lot of young people who are inspired, trying to help and incubate, in a sense, a lot of people so that they're able to try to build what they're doing business-wise. And then, you know, maybe one day become a client that's a business client or a corporate client. And along the way, my aim is to hope that, you know, see nobody in our movement, nobody in our community become a criminal client, you know? So that's one of the, the objectives that I've had along the way is I had for many years, the mandate, see if we can get to a point where people will never be in prison for marijuana offenses again of any sort, to now being in a position to help those people who want to participate here achieve. And I put my hand in that river of life with marijuana as a lawyer, right? I was interested in marijuana. I became licensed to practice law. I've represented countless people in marijuana cases and, you know, handsomely, I might add, and I feel there's some obligation to kind of pay that forward in a sense. So whether you're a lawyer, and I met a wonderful lawyer, law student last year who's just taken the bar, I anticipate he'll be admitted, who wants to practice cannabis law. I want to help that person wholeheartedly, you know? Stephanie Schumann, Leaf Legal PC, I've counseled in my office. She's a remarkable attorney. I want to help her in every respect. All of these people, we have an opportunity to help them build and then along the way, all this cool shit, right? Like social equity and inclusion and diversity and penetrating the glass ceiling with women in the cannabis realm. I mean, taking a, a new industry that we love, a nascent industry and a clean slate and trying to apply like socially conscious, straight up like the right thing to this new industry. And that's a really exciting thing to be a part of and to help foment. And I do this in many respects like pro bono and intrinsically it seems like the right thing to do. Right. Oh, I love that. And that, that's a common theme that I've encountered with really almost anyone who's succeeding in the cannabis world and having impact in the cannabis world. For the most part, these folks are doing it not because of, you know, profit motive, but more so because they have a strong calling of feeling and intuition that it's the right thing to do. And it's really at the end of the day for most of the people that I've talked to about justice and about doing what's right. And, you know, they're happy to do it, whether they get a dime from it or if they never see one. And even if they have to put money into it, they're still willing to do it because it means that much. And I, I really think you have to come from that kind of intention or commitment to really have a chance to succeed in this industry. Otherwise, I think you're going to face an uphill battle. But those are my two cents. You see, like, there's almost some karmic retribution, right? All the investors into the cannabis space, all the people that popped on in and, you know, took positions and things that ultimately were illiquid and lost money or bought public equities. and They're now worth 10 cents on the dollar, for example. I mean, I can name them, but I won't. But I saw a couple... I saw a publicly traded company that I, I, I can't discuss the settlement, but you know, I settled a, a shareholder matter for a couple of years ago. They were trading at a lot of money and they don't even have a symbol that's trading as of yesterday. You know? So you see like everyone's tanked out there, but there's this, this interplay between the mom and the pop people in the movement, the early people, the people that had those early dispensaries that weren't associated with any corporate interests. Right? I think like Wanda James, for example, in Colorado, and juxtapose that with like True Leaf, you know, or MedMen, which is another one of these, I can say that, it's, it's apparent, you know, a public, publicly traded company that's tanked, that's trading for pennies on the dollar at its original value. You know? So um, it's, it's been tough for some of those mom and pop type businesses, the artisanal or the bespoke businesses 
to survive the craft businesses in the face of this increasing industry, right? But now you've seen industry begin to be this quintessential, it's the moth to the flame, it's destroying itself, right? We grew too much hemp, so we can't get the hemp out of the ground. Now it's like valueless, right? We can't process all the hemp, we don't have enough processors. It's just the, 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 the labyrinth of regulation is obscene. And then all the money in and all the kind of, and I, I guess if you were coaching many of these businesses, you would say, really don't extend yourself so far as you have, right? Don't do that. You know, you can look back retrospectively, you can see the problems, but now we're in this really kind of funny place, right? Yesterday, we had the federal cannabis lawsuit. The Supreme Court declined to hear our case, to take our case any further, you know? But our battle continues and legislatively, we've got the MORE Act on the horizon. So there'll be big legalization. Legalization, big scale legalization has a lot of consequences to it. Just like we talk about big time, big, big scale pharmaceuticalization of cannabis, which has a different set of consequences to it. But my hope in the end is really people who apply themselves and find some love of cannabis can also find how that skill helps them with other things. If you like investing in cannabis equities, maybe you'll then like investing in other equities, right? If you like representing or, or doing kind of business consulting for some cannabis companies, maybe that'll transition to other cannabis companies. You got into soil science and you became like a, an agriculture person for cannabis, maybe you'll do it for other reasons. Maybe it'll lead to a career in other respects, you know? You got your MBA, hopefully we have people getting MBAs for cannabis or becoming accountants for cannabis and doing things educationally that they wouldn't do for cannabis. Most importantly, maybe having a voice in our legislatures for cannabis, maybe people running, and I know a couple of young people who I am proud to say, and you do too, I've watched since they're very young and they're very precious to me, who I think might try to run for elected office and then be the voice that we really, really need, right? So there's all kinds of aspects to this movement that are long-term aspects, you know? And from the time that I jumped in and said, I'm not gonna like let this thing pass me by to now I realize this, it's not, absolutely hasn't passed me by. And it's been nothing but like a ray of enormous light and joy for me. And I'm watching people that are doing well and, and working really, really hard. And I can't tell you how proud I am to see them all, whether they're writing books or they've got podcasts, right? Or they're doing all, all types of wonderful things. I wanna ref respond to a few things you said. One is that mistake of, you know, overextending yourself. You know, I, I try to, to prevent people from even getting into that situation. And I, I put in my book, the cannabis business book, which is available on Amazon, that the most common mistake I've seen entrepreneurs and investors make when getting into cannabis is not doing enough research, not being prepared, not really understanding what they're getting themselves into, not talking to someone like Joe, who has the experience and knowledge of industry dynamics and you know just rushing in not having a clear game plan throwing money at the problem or taking an approach they would take in a different industry and expecting it to just work in cannabis and often i think they end up quite disappointed now one other thing you said that i want to respond to are you talking about people taking the skills they've built in cannabis and extending and applying them elsewhere. I, I love that. And I want to just, you know, take the, the converse of that, where, you know, a lot of people ask me all the time, how do I get into cannabis? How do I get started in this industry? And the answer I usually give them is, well, take the skills that you've already developed in whatever professional experience you have, and find a way to apply that to cannabis. It's not exactly rocket science. But, you know, for whatever reason, people seem to be mystified with cannabis and, you know, oh, where do I go? How do I start? How do I do it? And, you know, I always tell them, start with your existing skills and start with advocacy. And that'll get you on the path to righteousness. Um, so, you know, there's this model of marijuana, right? I mean, it's the plant, it's the plant, it's this amazing plant. It's kind of like an orb, like a chi orb, or like a hacky sack. You play hacky sack, you're young, you keep the hacky sack up, and you're hitting and you're, hitting, you're playing hacky sack, and you're using your body in a number of ways. That's like applying your skill, right? 
we're applying like Kung Fu translates to what? Like pure effort, hard work. So you can be Kung Fu lawyer, you can be Kung Fu marijuana advocate, right? You can be Kung Fu cultivator or processor, but if that's what you're going to do, and now you're a young person with the internet and school, you can study light. You could say, for example, I'm gonna build fiber optic indoor grow and I'm gonna harvest sunlight. I'm gonna use physics to do that. I'm gonna create the best lighting panels in the whole wide world. I've got a friend from my childhood who now has an aquaponic fertilizer company. It's maybe number one in, in the world. And of course, I'm, I, I'm involved. I disclose I'm involved with this company. I advise him. But I remember when he was, you know, collecting saltwater fish. And now he's got like a tilapia and a molly farm. And he's doing like aquaponic fertilizer, not just for cannabis, but it's benchmark in the field, you know? And so if your child wants to go, my son went to UC Davis for their agricultural program last summer. And before that, he went to University of North Carolina. Agriculture, right? But he's also really into math, really into physics, as I said. So cannabis can be the vector for a lot of these amazing things. And it's also that org, you know, like I wanna get people out of prison. Cannabis is a good way to talk about getting people out of prison. It's a good way to identify injustice. It's a good way to create social justice and criminal justice reform. That's your mantra maybe, or your Zen koan, if you will. So that's what I mean There's this whole element of looking at the cannabis as helping you perfect whatever it is that you're doing in your life. I'm not really a Star Wars dude, but isn't it the scene he's like, Luke Skywalker's fighting some orb-like thing with his lightsaber to get better, right? And that's what we're doing. We're approaching cannabis to get better at what we're doing and benefit this, almost like this open source of the whole world, benefiting the plant, better extraction techniques, better terpene extraction, right? Better strain cultivation, better like discussions about medical use of cannabis, better academic application of cannabis science, right? The endocannabinoid system we're talking about. And I was like, Joe Dolce is writing a book about the endocannabinoid system, right? Brave New Weed, another great book, right? But I mean, this is just so, and there and another example, an author, a writer that takes his craft and skill and applies it to something and benefits all of us while benefiting themselves. So this is the same concept that when I, decided to be a people's lawyer many years ago, right? It was like, do good for other people and you can do well for yourself. It's like, if you're doing good for this cannabis movement, you will do very well for yourself. Absolutely. I love how you distill that philosophy, Joe. You, you basically just took my book and summed it up in a sentence, which yeah. I'm not sure if I'm happy about that or not, but you know, it is what it is. And I love that this, this concept of using cannabis as the vector and, you know, cannabis is so all encompassing, so intersectional. And I, I think this approach of, you know, kind of like draw the Venn diagram for yourself yeah. and find that overlap of whatever your passions are, there is a cannabis overlap, whether it's, you know, being a lawyer or coaching or writing or, you know, astrophysics or whatever it may be, there's almost certainly a way to to, you know, hybridize that with cannabis. And if there isn't, go create it. And then that's how innovation happens. Joe, I want to ask you, what is your highest power? What is it about Joe Bondi that allows Joe Bondi to succeed in this world? I don't know. I mean, I've spent, I think that first off, other than persuading my wife to say yes, right? And my children being amazing, the greatest thing that I've really done in my life is save people from prison a lot, right? And I've calculated it. And I've saved people over 2,000 years in the penitentiary under federal sentencing guidelines. That means 2,000 years worth of like a loved one not being in a jail, right? And that person's life not being destroyed. And I did that in, you know, the federal system, you kind of are using a quiver of arrows that often everything you do i think in your in your persuasion has some kind of an emotional hook right you have an anchor in fact an anchor in law and some kind of an emotional hook but to get to that emotion you have to get kind of inside right you have to be able to understand that person 
you have to be willing to walk in their shoes and be real about that. And a lot of that comes from our experiences, right? I mean, a lot of think about the experiences that you had as a young person growing up in New York City, right? As like a, a young person from an immigrant background, right? Who is going to a high school, commuting from outside Manhattan, am I right? Open yep. like a whole college thing, everything else. We understand people. So for me, I've tried to be a people whisperer. I've tried to channel the people that I'm representing and to really be the voice, you know, be the voice that they deserve to have on what is their judgment day. And I spend a long, long time, I'll spend like a couple of years representing you, building up to our judgment day, right? And then we're gonna go in the judgment day and I'm gonna ask the judge to save you, you know, one human being at a time. And so I think that the skills that I, I have had to use doing that have been things that I had when I was a little kid, you know, and there were things that drove me to do that well, and I'm channeling it, and it helps me do all these other things well. So I think that that's the stuff, and that's what I'd like to like be remembered as, you know, as somebody who was able to feel you and then help you be everything that you deserve to be, and to put you in your most favorable light. And for me, with you know, the clients, the criminal clients, their judgment day, their sentencing day, it's a pretty good time to know everything good about you to remember everything good about you and what could be one of the worst days of your life. And then to be able to stand up against like our all powerful government and persuade judges. And I love judges. And to me, I've, I've won with judges. It's not that I'm winning with these prosecutors, you know, I win with judges by telling them the important and beautiful and often painful truths about people. Mm. So I'm, I'm hearing it's, the superpower, the highest power is the ability to understand and relate to people and to really, you know, it, it sounds to me like almost a deep empathy or, or compassion that allows you to put yourself in their shoes and really, you know, imagine what, what it is that their experience is and put a voice to it. Yeah. Very nice. Very nice. Pot gives us all that opportunity over and over again. Right? <laughs> Stop and frisk is all about marijuana, immigration policy. How many people get excluded because they've got like a marijuana conviction, right? Public housing. How many people can't like remain in public housing because of pot? How many people can't get a student loan? How many people can't get a job? My clients. And those are people that I know, right? Who don't deserve to be treated that way. I took great offense at then Attorney General Jeff Sessions remark that good people don't smoke marijuana. I mean, that's just like underscores the, the foolishness that people like him, him possess on the subject. But I mean, truth be told, it's another, this marijuana vector is another opportunity for us to all be able to have a voice to make a difference, to make America a better place. And the sooner we realize that the best geopolitical unifying influence we have, right? The best political unifying influence we have is jaweed, right? Is marijuana, then the better off we'll be because that's the thing that brings us together, right? That's the thing when you share weed with somebody, you're sharing a discussion with them. You're sharing this common ground. That's your Venn diagram about this, right? And then you start to think about well, within that experience, what's the right thing to do about veterans with PTSD, for example? What's the right thing to do about people who are being excluded from this pot industry because of their own pot conviction? What's the right thing to do about historic over-policing of people's communities, right? But it's pot. And I couldn't think of a better time. I'm trying to figure out like the right tweet about it, you know? But I mean, what better time to have legal marijuana than right now during the pandemic while I have to watch Amy Coney Barrett at a confirmation hearing, where I got to watch a, a town hall in lieu of a debate, or I have to watch a fly on Mike Pence's head. Like, what better time in America for us all to have legal access to cannabis? And when I was a kid, I, I thought legal meant like the Tetley's weed bag, you know? We'd have like marijuana, like in the supermarket. And they'd be like, sold behind a plexiglass thing in this licensed kind of 
regime and it was all like automated and everything else like that and hard to get, you know? But in any event, I, I feel like marijuana leads us from like all of these spokes on the wheel right to this extraordinary, enormous and beautiful center that lies within all of us. And no one can take it away. You know, Ted Cruz can't take it away. Lindsey Graham can't take it away. Mitch McConnell, Mr. Hemp, he can't take it away because it's the truth of it. And we're all on the right side of this movement, whether we're doing it as lawyers or you're doing it as a business professional, you're doing it as an advocate, right? We're all on the right side of the equation. And the poetic justice we shall see in the coming legislative cycles. I really, I really do believe that. So Joe, I, I, I love what you're saying here. I, I want to rephrase it a bit because I think it's so in line with uh, some of the principles that, that I promote and try to encourage people to see, which is, I, I heard you say, you know, that cannabis is like this great unifier, which I 100% am all in believing. You know, I, I call it the original social network. It breaks down barriers. You know, you, you pass that joint pre-COVID, of course, to, to the stranger or whatever, and your fast friends. And I don't know anything else that creates that kind of instant affinity and understanding. And I also heard you say, you know, I'm going to paraphrase it because this is kind of my, my mantra is if you want to succeed in cannabis, be like cannabis. And I hear that in, in, in your, your highest power, which is, you know, just extending compassion, extending understanding, extending, you know, a new way of thinking. And to me, that's all being like cannabis, supporting people's healing, you know, giving people a new perspective. To me, that, that's all be like cannabis. And if you can be like cannabis in this industry, it, you know, I'm pretty sure over time you will succeed if you're truly taking a long-term approach and, yeah. and trying to help people in the way that cannabis is indiscriminately helpful and giving where, you know, no matter who you are, you can grow it, you know, no matter who you are, you can enjoy it and, and get therapeutic benefit from it, you know, pretty much regardless of any of your demographics or background or any of that stuff. So I, you know, just wanted, just wanted to highlight Another, that. And let's think about kids, inner city kids, right? And let's be real about it. Graffiti, right? Like, all kinds of behaviors you think about in the inner cities that are vandalism, right? Going in train yards, riding on trains, small time crime, all the shitty activity. It's all too common to see that marijuana has some like role in the behavior systems of people who engage in these types of behaviors, right? And I feel like the stigma of weed is one that you know a lot of people feel still, unfortunately, and has to be removed. Because I mean, there are parts of it that I don't like, right? I don't like irresponsible cannabis use. I'm not into kids using weed. I'm not really into like ashes and dirt, right? I'm like not into joints that much, right? I'm like into flowers. I think that cannabis, the flowers, are a remarkably beautiful thing. And there's an appropriate time, place, and manner, right? And that's just something that I'm like an old guy, that's what I've come to conclude, you know, and <laughs> kids don't have to trust me, but they should trust this. You don't have to look at, you know, marijuana use as part and parcel of this, I don't know, criminal element, or thug life or anything like, you know, that you should be less proud of than other things you could be doing. I mean, you can also take that creative element of cannabis and do all kinds of really remarkable and wonderful things with it that are positive, right? So for me, you can use cannabis positively as a young adult. And you don't have to bear a lot of the crosses that we had to bear. I did at 52 years old. Even you did at what, 31, Michael, right? I mean, it's a different time right now. And you need to, I think young people need to understand that just because you're using cannabis doesn't make you bad. And you also don't have to overconsume cannabis, right? To be using cannabis. Frequently people are like, just never stop smoking weed, right? <laughs> and trust me, 
it's okay to not smoke pot all the time and you're still <laughs> accepted in the community here right that's indeed <laughs> yes and I, I think it's very easy to over consume and you know I'm, I'm a big proponent of mindful consumption and it's something that it took for me to get educated about the plant and the science behind it and to really understand what that was for me and i i completely agree with you that the stigma i think in, in my experience even even as a cannabis advocate and big time cannabis ambassador, I still sometimes have that internalized stigma of like, oh, well, I want to consume some cannabis early in the day. Am I like a ne'er-do-well, you know, because I'm trying to have cannabis in the afternoon, you know, does that make me a bad guy or a user yeah, or abuser? Extremism too, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so... You know, I think it's important to for everyone who who has a relationship with cannabis to really accept and embrace that, that, you know, hey, I'm not a criminal or a bad person or whatever, just because I have a relationship with cannabis. Because to your point, for decades, that's been the message from, you know, America's government, America's media, and lots and culture, essentially, that you know, I, it's what I call in my book an institutional anti-cannabis bias. You know, yeah. it's something that's been perpetuated for for a long time. And, you know, I think it's important to recognize that. And, you know, part of why I do what I do is to challenge that and to, to get people to think differently and see that, in fact, this is one of humanity's greatest natural resources that if we embraced and maximized on its potential to heal not only humans, but also the environment, we would all be significantly better off. So, Joe, I want to ask you, what are you most excited about right now in the cannabis world, or maybe for the next, you know, three to six months or so? I don't know. I guess a few things. I mean, uh, I'll say yesterday the Supreme Court declined to grant us certiorari, that is to, to be heard on the merits in the federal cannabis lawsuit that was brought by Marvin Washington as our lead plaintiff and Jose Bellin, Cannabis Cultural Association, uh, the family for Alexis Bortel and also for Jagger Cote. And it ends a three year journey basically through the federal courts um, uh, with a little bit of a, uh, a flop. But I think the next thing that I'm looking forward to with cannabis is seeing if the Moore Act actually passes through the House. I think it's very, very important. Seeing if we have a roster and get out and vote. I mean, the most important thing we can do right now is not think about cannabis until after November 3rd, right? And think about voting in a way, and this is all, of course, within your jurisdiction, that can move the needle with cannabis. I've also been donating in incremental amounts because, you know, candidates rely upon how many donations they're getting, but I've been supporting like uh, uh, in South Carolina and supporting Jamie Harris. I've been supporting uh, Mark Kelly in Arizona. Um, I think that it's important to do anything that you can if you have a, a, the ability to do so, to try to donate to cannabis, you know, friendly candidates and people who are not, because with cannabis friendly comes what channel? becomes mass incarceration adverse. It's more rights friendly. It's more likely to be affordable care act friendly. It's, you know, people who are more likely to condemn racism and police brutality friendly. And so for now, trying to do everything we can, even outside your jurisdiction to assist and support candidates that have the same kind of vision as you and that can build that vision for our America and, and, and shepherd us through what's been one of the hardest times in our republic's history, I think that's really important. But moving on from there, we've got this question of what happens in other states. You know, Vermont just signed into law, 11th state, recreational marijuana. Do we get other states that are now gonna have recreational adult use marijuana um, through ballot referendum or otherwise? Do we get to a point where we've actually got 15 or 18 states where it's federally, I mean, uh, state legal before we get to the point where there's some kind of federal descheduling of cannabis. 
You know, I saw just the other day, I think our DEA, our US government has taken a position where we would support the transfer of cannabis under international treaties from one to schedule four. And that's important because, and here's the nuance about it, the technical and legal. We all say, oh my God, under a United States treaty law, we can't really just deschedule marijuana, right? It can be used for a scientific or a medical purpose. And the actual document we're talking about is the United Nations Single Convention on Narcotics in 1961. We signed it. That's what it says. You now have to take that piece and add to it the fact that Article 4 of our United States Constitution, it's a constitutional, it's written in the Constitution, makes treaties that we've signed, right? They are the law of the land. Our treaty obligations transcend state law and they transcend federal law. So we cannot be in breach of those or abrogate those obligations unless we want other countries to be in a position to abrogate their obligations under things like nuclear proliferation treaties, you know, or like energy and oil treaties or intelligence gathering treaties. And so it's an enormous step. And of course, these multinational bodies move, you know, slowly. The World Health Organization moves somewhat slowly, but it's in particular when they've been dealing with COVID that had to kind of jump everything else, but it's a very big step to now have the United States signing on to this international growing consensus that cannabis has been wrongly scheduled under that convention. And if that's the case, and we're in a position legally in the United States, federally in the United States, to actually look at cannabis and begin to treat it as a legal commodity, right? Now we're in the position where our federal laws should be struck because they're unconstitutional. But that's a different story than Congress coming in and being able to actually deschedule cannabis without us being in violation of our treaty obligations. Fascinating. Thank you for that, for that uh, insight on, on the law and the state of international treaties, because I think a lot of people have no idea that that's even a factor. Uh, I, I do want to respond to your point about the elections and, and getting involved in, uh, you know, I think if everyone took their civic obligations much more seriously, we would, we would all be better off. And I think to, to your point, you know, it's fantastic to make donations of and support candidates. And you can also donate time and effort and energy if you don't have, you know, the surplus of, of, of financial resources, you could still contribute and be a factor and make a difference. And, you know, it's, again, one of those things that I think if you're not well versed in those systems and opportunities, it could seem overwhelming. And, oh, how do I start? Where do I go? But the truth is, there's so many great resources and organizations supporting that kind of work, I think more so than ever before that there's really no excuses, especially if you're stuck at home, like most of the world is, you know, now's a great time to, to phone bank and to text and get get people engaged in, in supporting candidates that are ultimately, hopefully going to restore justice. Joe, I want to shift gears to the coaching piece. And I'm going to do something different today. Because in in my real life, Right outside of this show, this spectacle, which is really not much of a spectacle and very much my real life anyway. But you know, I've come to you a number of times for for counsel, for advice, for for coaching in in matters of my business and personal life. So rather than coaching you today, I'm gonna ask you a question that I get asked all the time that I think that you're uniquely qualified to help people with. And so I'm going to ask for you to be the coach, the cannabis business coach today. And the question is this, what advice do you have for legacy or pioneer or underground operators who want to transition into the legal and regulated cannabis economy? Because I get asked this all the time, especially in New York. And, you know, I'm, I'm curious what you have to say on that. This is a long discussion and it's got a few considerations for people. Let's say you're in the black market. You've been selling marijuana for many years. Now you want to 
the cops are coming to get us already. You see, the, the cops are, <laughs> but just like with my law thing, and I said no one's gonna, you know, do this cannabis law thing. I'm getting on this bandwagon. It's the same kind of operant feeling, right? As I'm now going to become involved in the legal cannabis business. The problem is many people have engaged in a variety of ancillary crimes like money laundering and bank fraud and currency transaction violations and making a bunch of false statements on mortgage applications or other things. And now they're asked at tax evasion, right, or non-filing. And now they're asked to make themselves transparent if they are going to go and apply for the license themselves or be a significant equity partner in a cannabis business that's gonna be licensed. And sometimes this dichotomy, this problem, this wanting to go and be street legal, so to speak, involves you having this iceberg or this, this galactic iceberg of activity that you've created for yourself. That's hard to get away from, you know? And you should, I, I, you go to a lawyer, they'd say, well, pay your taxes on the ill-gotten gains. Um, and, you know, maybe counsel you against trying to involve yourself in that kind of a, a regulated industry. And that's part of this irony is some of the people who one could say, if you're a conservative jurist, just couldn't wait until cannabis became legal to become involved. Some of those people might be shit out of luck. Then you've got other opportunities, right? Some people have strains or cultivars and maybe there's a way for them now to begin to try to license that, those genetics. Maybe there's a way for people who've been involved but who have day jobs and you know, not merely in the black market to become involved with other aspects of the, the businesses. Maybe there's a way for you to invest in cannabis, you know, as a, as a person who's just an, an, an equity investor or to invest in the nascent like CBD industry or to go get a hemp license of some sort, you know, or to provide your accounting services or your medical services or your legal services or your business consulting services or your engineering services to, you know, the cannabis realm. But I think that before you jump into an endeavor like trying to transition from, I'll call it the black market into the legal cannabis industry, my, my, the first thing you need to do is talk to a, a talented lawyer whom you trust and whom you can explain the problems to so they can attempt to shepherd you through those problems in a legal way and not have you find yourself in, in more trouble than you bargained for. I'm curious if you see any states or if you've seen any any states that have really created a good framework to transition people it's too early to say michael i think this law moves very slowly you know i mean the, the wheels of justice grind they do but slowly um and you do raise the point that there may come a time soon where people who've been involved in the black market cannabis industry have actually been convicted popped convicted may now find themselves in a better place transition-wise, right, as part of some kind of transitional program, some equity licensing or some kind of a licensing opportunity for people with convictions, right? They might find it easier for them to be transitioning because of their ability to be transparent with their background than some of these other people who, you know, can't be. Although I think by and large, if you've not been busted, with your cannabis activities, you probably find a way to transition and you probably should stop breaking all laws right away and, and talk to a lawyer and figure out how to do it right. And you can find me, I'm around. But, <laughs> but you know, um, I think that the idea of we're going to now incubate people who are out of jail and do job training and give them a license is a wonderful ideal but I don't really know of anywhere implementing it on a regular basis. And I don't know enough. I could guess and say maybe Oakland, but I don't really know enough and I can't really say. And I have very little faith that these programs will be implemented quickly. And again, when they're implemented, there'll be all kinds of questions of fairness, you know? I think you're right. As far as Oakland is the only place that really comes to mind as even in the right ballpark. Uh, Joe, I wanna offer you the chance to make 
a closing statement or closing remarks. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll say this, like, here we are a few years down the road, right? And there's been so much enormous progress that's been made. We don't have legalization in New York. We don't have recreational legalization. We have decriminalization, right? It's a big step forward. We have far fewer people being arrested for marijuana, but so many people still being arrested and prosecuted for marijuana. All the people that we've seen, we've seen what, thousands of people at your events, right? These are people who've become part of a living, breathing network. It's like a kelp field or something. We're all doing this incredible shit, touching each other. And I miss everybody. I've got to say, it's nice to talk to you and see your face. I know we'll all have better days outside together, right? I hope everyone is thriving. I do remain here for anybody that you all know me, you always can reach me. But I feel like we've, don't, don't lose sight of this, right? There've been some setbacks in the past couple of years, right? There's been a slowdown of what many of us thought might be this path towards legalization. If you got into equities early, you lost a bunch of money, but it's okay. It doesn't change the truth, which is we're winning and we've done so much for this movement. And very soon we'll be able to have extraordinary gala event honoring Michael and all of the thought leaders who've come like before us now and guided us and led us like the light brigade towards legalization. So thank you for having me. Now I'll leave this final point is this our president's wrong about this. New York is thriving and amazing. It rocks and there's really no place that I'd rather be right now doing my quarantine. So thank you, Michael. Thanks, Joe. I, I want to add one one last piece because something you, you made that what I'm going to say is a joke about the big gala to celebrate me, which, you know, I'm not opposed to it. I just don't think that's happening anytime soon. I, I remember once upon a time, I forgot when it was, we were hanging out and you, you said something about like one day you're like, Michael, one day there'll be a strain named after you. And I was just yeah. like, no fucking way. Cause in my mind, I'm like, how cool would that be? That would be, you know, that would be like a dream, but to have someone else who's like, you know, intelligent and not insane confirm that or, or, or say that that's a possibility. I was just like, Whoa, like, Hey, that, that is a possibility. I, I could very well happen. And then fast forward to, you know, must've been a few years later, our, our buddy Leo Bridgewater in New Jersey right. Right. You know, was honored by one of the dispensaries there with a, a strain named after him for you know a lot of his advocacy work. And I was just like, that was such a joyous moment for me to see one of our friends, one of our, you know, great allies in this fight for cannabis to to be recognized for advocacy in that way, you know, uh, you know, this kind of... I was talking to him yesterday, you know, yeah. Zooming with Leo, and he showed me the, the strain thing there. But yeah, it's phenomenal. I think it's going to be a big year, you know, and like, I'm an old guy, so what would I say? Trading cards, like hot advocate trading cards, like Z trading card, but that's so antiquated. There's got to be something else, like we'll be an anime show or something, you know? <laughs> if you could get the, the Joe Bondi trading card with quarantine beard, limited edition, you know, uh, that could be worth something. <laughs> anyway, it's been great talking to you. Thank yeah. you so much for having me. Thank so you, Joe. Always a pleasure catching up with you. And I'm I'm so glad to hear that you're thriving. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. The Cannabis Business Coach. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. The Cannabis Business Coach.